Come on down, look around, take in some sights, enjoy the sounds, be a part of the arts, the artist's hand gallery. Hello and welcome to the artist's hand podcast, Something Cool. In one's lifetime, there are moments when we act as the artist, the audience, or the advocate in our own personal communities. According to the National Assembly of State Arts Agencies, the arts contribute to the economy, adding $877.8 billion to the U.S. in 2017. It adds more than agriculture, mining, construction, and travel. Through the same source, it was shown that rural areas with innovative and design-integrated businesses recover faster from economic recessions with a faster growth in average weekly earnings. Some speculators say that the economics can be overemphasized when when it comes to the arts. However, the quality of life being affected by the arts cannot. It not only beautifies our spaces, but also our existence. Hippocrates once said, art is long, life is short. In the arts and throughout life, individuals can act as the artist, the audience, or the advocate. The artist expresses themselves. The audience listens. The advocate supports and shares their love of what other people do. Today, we spoke to an advocate of the arts in Indiana, PA. Hello, this is Sandy Trimble, your host, and I will be joined this evening by our intrepid tech whiz, Maddie Jones, and by our guest, Lori Kuzneski. Lori is a friend of the arts, and that's particularly why I asked her to join us on the podcast tonight. She is the mother of three incredible kids, all of whom I know. She is a wife and Andy's a pretty cool guy. She's an executive and she is a community contributor. She has been a part of the United Way and in fact led their fund drive a couple of years ago. She is a trustee at IUP and she is on the executive committee for the Chamber of Commerce. But she was also a member of the IUP Museum Board, which is what I particularly want to speak with her about tonight. And she worked on their galas while she was doing that and led the development of the galas. And so she's our guest tonight because she is a patron of the arts. And so although on this podcast, we want to talk to our artists, we want to also talk to people who are interested in art, who love art, and who may not necessarily make art, but who support the arts. So tell me the story about how you started collecting art. Uh, so I think I remember vividly um, going to a museum gala and buying a piece of a uh, beautiful watercolor at the auction. And I think <laughs> I got it for, it was like $125, something like that. Right. It was framed, everything. I mean, it was ready to go on my wall, which at that point in time, that's all, the only way I bought artwork <laughs> is, if, you know, TJ Maxx or someplace <laughs> that was ready to go on my wall. And I wanted to put it in this one spot in our family room and there was a piece hanging there. And when I took that piece down, the sticker on the back was from TJ Maxx and it said $129. And I was like, I I said to Andy, I'm like, can you believe we got this beautiful original piece of artwork? And that was when we decided never again will we buy something that isn't 
an original piece of artwork. So to clarify, the piece you had from TJ Maxx was not an original piece of artwork. It was not. It was a piece of printed, you know, art stuff that they sell at TJ Maxx. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, is fine. If it, and, you know, there's sometimes where I see something and I'm like, I really, really like that. Um, I'll pick it up. But, it, you know, we have just decided that we would rather support local artists or, you know, artists in general. I think we're both frustrated artists. We we love it. Wish we could do it, but we can't. So, um, you know, so we buy it <laughs> from other people who can. <laughs> Which is wonderful. And we here at the Artist's Hand appreciate that. So you have, you've been doing this now for how long? How long ago was that? Oh, that would have been, I'm going to say probably 20 years ago. Wow. So you've been at this for a while. Has anything changed about the way you look at art or how you make your decisions now when buying art? So I think, you know, in the beginning, it was what could we afford that we like? And, and I, you know, we talked to somebody who was a big art collector who had a lot of money to spend on artwork. And he said, if you like it and you could afford it, you should buy it. And that was his, you know, because we asked him, how do you buy art? And thinking that, you know, Andy being a business guy, you know, was thinking that there was maybe some business idea behind it. That's not what it was. He's like, if I I like it and I can afford it, I buy it. And so I think for us, you know, in the beginning, it was, you know, when we'd see something, maybe how much wine have we had to drink? Um, you know, Because there are a few museum gala pieces that you know, in our house and our kids are like, why did you? I'm like, there was a lot of wine at that gala. And, um, it was a good gala. It was a good gala. Yes. So I think sometimes it was, could we afford it? Did we have a need for it? Most of the time we don't have a need for it, but it needs to come home with us is kind of how I feel. You know, that's sort of just how we got started. And I remember another museum gala that my in-laws hosted at their house, buying a piece of artwork that nobody had bid on. And so I got it for a great price. And then somebody said, you should probably get that insured. Wow. And so we were getting a collection and being in the insurance business, you know, everything's insured. So I had it appraised and it was appraised for 10 times what I paid for it. Wow. And Andy was like, you can buy artwork all day long. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, you know, so I guess over the years, it's been, you know, wanting to fill our house with artwork. And I, I literally don't buy furniture, I buy artwork. And then when we bought our office building, you know, filling it with artwork oh, yeah. and everything. And so it's just become something that we're passionate about. Investing in the artist hand back in the day when it was getting started was important to us. Pieces that we have are from people that we know and admire and mean something to us. I walk through my house and I say hi to Bill Double as I'm going <laughs> out my door because I've got one of his pictures there and, you know, Joy Fairbanks and Barb Kabbalah's in our office, sure. and, you know, just all these wonderful people from around here and, and from around the country that we've met. So when you look at your collection, I've been in the office in particular, when you look at your collection, is there a style? Is there a particular theme that flows? Um, I think we go through periods of artists, I would say. So we have beautiful pieces from um, spending time in Santa Fe because we spent summers out in Santa Fe for five or six years when Andy was on the board of a bank out there. And so our family goes out there together. We have great memories. And, and we met an artist, Roger Montoya, and we've 
a number of his pieces. And oh, I know there's one at the office. Yes, yes. So um, the irises, and then there's sunflowers, and then we have a big one that is of the Sandia Mountains. So they're all different, but they all have just really special meaning to us. And he was just this beautiful human being that we got to know. And our son was three at the time. And he saw a painting, a plein air painting that he had done of a truck, an old trucks that was out somewhere. And Andrew saw it and he's like, I want that picture. And it was at one of the Spanish markets or something. And he kept talking about it the whole month that we were there. Cool. So we called Roger Montoya and asked him if we could buy that painting. And he said, sure. So we went out to his studio and he showed us all of his artwork and he wrote on the back of the painting, he's like, I've never sold a painting to a, you know, a three-year-old before. <laughs> but it's, you know, it sits in Andrew's room and he will always have that memory and, and the note on the back from Roger to him. Absolutely. So if you were to say, and I think you already said it at once when you first started, it was about what I liked and if I could afford it. So if you were to speak to anybody out there about putting artwork in your home, do you need special qualifications? Do you have to know something about art to collect art? No. What would you say to someone? I think it's, you know what, if, if you're drawn to it, if it moves you, if it makes you smile, I, you know, it doesn't have to match your couch. <laughs> it doesn't, you know, it's, yeah, it, you know, Andy will always say, where are we going to put this? And I'm like, I have no idea. We'll figure it out. And we have weekends where we just walk around and move artwork. And it's like, hey, let's, you know, let's rearrange the artwork. My mom and dad <laughs> rearrange furniture all the time in their house. I rehang artwork and Bill Double, God love him has helped me, taught me how to do it. And oh, every and time so I hang or rehang a piece of artwork, I think of Bill Double, and who's also one of my favorite artists and people. And I, I you know, I, so it's, it's not prohibitive for me to say, okay, let's move some art today, you know, and I get my spackle out and clean up the old spots. But um, I love, yeah, I just love doing that. And we have artworks, you know, sitting on the floor, in a room because we like to live with it a little bit and decide, you know, do we want that in this room or do we? And so, you know, we're constantly moving things back and forth between the office and the house and rearranging, but truly it would just be one piece and it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to match everything else in your house. It's just, you know, if it moves you, if it excites you, if you just feel like it needs a home. Absolutely. Yeah, our pieces are pretty special to us. Every one of them means something. Might be, oh, remember we were up here for the gala opening. I think it's, you know, if you can start small, start small and, and just start collecting things that resonate with you. And, and, you know, it doesn't have to be something to hang on the wall. I mean, I love, you know, all my pots that I've bought and vases and bowls and all that good stuff. Absolutely. And, um, yeah. So we're really fortunate here in Indiana to have the art scene that we have and the artists that live here and work here. You know, of course we have the potters who have the potter store every fall and a large number of our artists here are actually retired art educators. Harold Miller, Joy Fairbanks, Bill Double, uh, Greg Langham. I'm trying to think if there are any others, but there's definitely folks who have lived and worked in this community and are now full time doing their thing. We're better for it. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And that's one of the fun things when we got this thing started for me was going around and talking to all these folks. You know, we even have work here right now. There's a young woman, Brianna, who is an art ed major who's getting ready to graduate and has work in here. And so we have work here that's represented by professional artists. We have some student work and we also have students that come in a lot. And I would love to be able to encourage them to buy artwork, to participate in for themselves. I know the first time I bought a piece of pottery, it was like the coolest thing I ever did. Dropped 20 bucks. <laughs> yeah. Did you make your mom take a picture of you? you know, I didn't, but you know, in those days, it was before everything had a buddy had a cell phone on because yes. I'm old as dirt, but you know, it was, I still have that piece of of pottery yeah. because it was special. Well, and I have bought artwork here um, when the students, the high school students have their shows. So I have Ashley Bowman paintings, Ceci Sherwood. Amelia bought me Ceci's pomegranate. Oh, I remember when, that yeah, piece. For the student show. And she bought it. I'm pretty sure she used my credit card when she bought it, but it was a gift <laughs> for me because she knew how much I loved it. And sure. I love Ceci. And, and so those are really neat things. And when I see, you know, especially Ashley Bowman, who has gone on, Yes. to school and for art. And Claire has bought me um, pieces of her artwork for Mother's Day. They're supporting their friends right. who are artists. And, um, you know, so that to me, is I, I think that's one of the best things I could have taught art yes. kids was to support the arts. And, you know, I mean, as artistic as they all are, and, you know, whether it's musically or dance or painting, and Amelia's always creating something, um, you know, I just to be creative and to support creativity, I think is really important. Absolutely. At different times in our lives, we are the artists, the audience, and the advocates. If you would like to act as the artist with us, contact Brian at theartistshandgallery.com to set up an appointment for putting your art in the gallery. You can also add your poetry to this podcast by contacting contact at theartistshandgallery.com. If you would like to act as the audience with us, we constantly have new work in the gallery from many local artists within a 35-mile distance. You can also visit us on YouTube, Instagram, our website, or Podbean. Hey, you're already here. Thanks for listening. If you would like to act as the advocate with us, an easy way is to share one of our Instagram posts, art openings, or podcasts. Another way is to set up an arts account. Collecting art shouldn't be hard. Your contribution sustains the good work of the gallery throughout the year. For those who live in and around Indiana County or the Pittsburgh area, every time you add to your account, it accumulates, making regular contributions of $10, $25, $50 or more. And soon you'll have gathered enough to purchase that inspiring work of lasting value that you'll treasure for years to come. To do so, contact Brian at brian at the artist's hand gallery for more information. Contributions of $550 or more earn a hand on our wall. If an arts account isn't your speed, you are always welcome to stop by the gallery and pick out something special for special times of the year, from handmade cards, books, and ornaments, to fiber art, coffee mugs, and framed artwork. You can also do so by shopping online in our website, www.theartistshandgallery.com. That is many artists, one hand, one gallery, www.theartistshandgallery.com. No matter if you are an artist, audience, or advocate in this moment, we're glad you're here and we are so happy to share this creative space with you. 
What I noticed with Claire when she came in to buy her piece is that she has a very distinct taste that's all her own. And I wouldn't say that it is necessarily related to the kind of work that you and Andy have purchased, which is, I think is phenomenal because you've given her the tools, but she's put them to work in her own, you know, in her own way. Yes. She definitely beats to a different drum and it's, it's really neat to see. I've let them decorate their own rooms. So, you know, pick out paint colors, furniture, all that kind of stuff. She, she's got her own unique style and it shows. I'm always very supportive of of their choices when they make them like artwork. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. It it is a very personal thing. And there really isn't anything that Andy and I haven't both been drawn to at the same time. You know, he bought me a Mandy Moreland painting for Christmas and I cried when I opened it. I couldn't take my eyes off of it. The woman in the picture was just stunning. And, you know, it, it is one of the favorite gifts he's ever given me. That beats a vacuum every yes, time. Every time. <laughs> every time. So is it safe to say that Mandy's one of your favorite local artists? I would say yes. Her pieces just, I don't know. And even her, I mean, I, you know, it's, that's the neat thing is when you get to meet the artists and talk to them and just have her talk to you about, you know, oh, well, this is why I did that. Or this, you know, it was, I remember she said it was just a very rushed painting and, you know, but this is what I was thinking about and all of that. It just makes it so much more meaningful and special is she's a real treasure for Indiana. Absolutely. Yeah, no, we're very lucky to have her and to have her here. She did the one woman show based on dance a couple of years ago and the pieces were just alive. Yeah. Yeah. The way she captures movement is magical. Yeah, it really you is. Know? It really is. And, you know, Jolene Joyner and, and Janelle, um, I have a big pantry in my house. You know, I'm all about cooking. And I have some of Janelle's pieces in my pantry. And there are pieces of cake. Oh, or, fun. You know, oh, um, yeah. garlic. I think for me, it's these, these are special places in my house. And these are my little treasures that I put up. And it's just like having special friends around. Mel Dunlap Jr. has created a homage to firefighters who have faced record-setting wildfires in California. So he's offering a piece up in a charity auction here at the artist's hand with a starting bid of $200. You can bid in the silent auction on the bid sheet in the artist's hand or email your bid with your contact info to brian at theartistshandgallery.com. Brian at the artist's hand gallery.com. The auction closes at midnight on March 31st and the winner will be contacted April 1st. All artist proceeds will be donated to the California Fire Foundation and all small business proceeds will be donated to the Indiana Fire Association. And we have a lot of Mark Altrogi paintings and, you know, Andy loves trees. And so his, you know, the aspens that he does and, and the different paintings he does with the trees, you know, mean something to him. And, you know, I have a, a whole bunch of Mandy Moreland paintings. I've surrounded myself in my office at home this past year with her paintings and they just make me it's like the one room in the house that is all me and it's feminine and you know it just they're beautiful and um so you know it's just their little windows to 
someplace else that I, you know, I like to look at. And today I was cleaning the house and I was going around and I was dusting all of my frames. <laughs> I don't have knickknacks. I dust all my frames. And, sure. um, you know, it's just, it's just neat to look at where we were. In the one bathroom, I have a Ned work and some of Amelia's artwork from sixth grade. I love and it. I've had framed. And, you know, it's just, they're all special pieces to us. You can see where our art our taste has changed over the years. Over time. Well, there's two things that, that came out of that. I think the first one I want to talk about is how you talked about how they're little windows into times and spaces, like having your daughter's artwork. And I remember Amelia coming here as a student when we had art classes in the back and making art. I think she was as young as first or second grade. And so you have that window into her history of her work being framed and and set up with a Ned Wirt, who is a pretty well-known artist locally as well as nationally. The other thing that came to mind was your kids, because I know that you've bought work here for them as gifts. So each of your children have their own art collection, which was seeded by mom and dad. Talk about that for a minute. Yeah, our, our son, he was probably the most interested in buying artwork. The girl's very artistic. You know, him not so much, but he had really good taste. Even for being a little person, his bedroom, he has pictures that he's taken from different trips we've had and things like that on his walls. But he has Roger Montoya paintings. He has an Altrogi painting, a Bill Perry painting of the British guard, you know, with the big hat. That's right. I remember you buying that one. I took a yes. picture of him mm-hmm. here at the artist's hand with it. And he just loved that painting. And he kept saying, you know, I, I really, really like that painting. And so I called and, you know, and you wrapped it up right. and we came in and it was gone and he was so upset. And I had him <laughs> carry it out to the car. <laughs> he had no idea it was wrapped in brown paper. And uh, that was one of his birthday gifts one year. Right. And my daughter, Claire, this past year was working for us and she got her first paycheck and she came in here to pick something up for me and she bought her first painting with her own money. With her own money. I remember that. And she was running around doing other stuff, but she came home and unwrapped it and made me take a picture of her with her first painting. And it was just, it was the cutest thing. And so they have either artwork that they've done themselves, framed and in their rooms. But then, you know, we've bought some special pieces over the years that they were really drawn to. Bought a couple of Mandy Moreland's dancers for Amelia because she was a dancer and they just they just spoke to me. They reminded me of her. I think there are things, pieces that we have, some of Kamal Youssef's pieces. We used to go out to his studio on Sundays and we took the kids out a few times. We had one hanging on the the stairs to his basement that wasn't finished yet. And it wasn't, it was just canvas. It wasn't stretched or anything. And he had it paper clipped hanging and, and it was all these women and children. And I was like, I love this painting and he had to talk to his wife to see if it was okay if he sold it to me and he did and his son framed it and it's it's between my kitchen and my family room and every day I walk past it I think of him 
and how special he was. And look at these women and children. He actually had a picture. It was a charcoal, maybe oil pastels oh, yeah. of a girl. And it wow. looked just like Amelia. And wow. he saw her and he said, I have something for you. And he gave it to her. And it was just, it was just on canvas. It wasn't stretched or anything. Uh, we have it framed in our house, but it, it looks just like her. You know, she was 12 or 13. And Kamal Youssef gave her this picture. You know, I have in uh, in just such wonderful memories. Well, I'm going to turn you over now to our intrepid Maddie because she has some surprise questions for you <laughs> related to our espresso bar. Ooh. So I'm going to turn you over to Maddie. All right. So hello. Hello. <laughs> um, so baristas at the artist's hand have recently had a socially distant tea party and learned more about the history of coffee and tea. So today I would like to play the game Two Truths and a Lie coffee and tea history okay so i'll give you three facts but you need to guess the lie for me okay ready yes all right number one earl gray tea is named for the gray color the leaves take on after steeping number two earl gray tea is controversially connected to the earl gray of howick hall Hawick Hall. It's British. Um, And then number three, Earl Grey tea was perhaps invented as bergamot oil hid the taste of poor water quality. I'm going to go with number three. (laughs) Unfortunately, incorrect. Earl Grey tea leaves were not named for turning gray after steeping. There are many theories to Earl Grey tea, and one of them is that Lady Grey put bergamot oil in the tea to hide the water quality. Nice. Very nice. (laughs) Number one, black tea is called red tea outside of European influence. Number two, yellow tea is an expensive tea mainly found only in China. And number three, purple tea is a tea made from bilberries from the blueberry family. So I'm looking for the lie, correct? Yeah. Let me know if I need to repeat any. (laughs) Uh, What was the yellow tea once? Um, That yellow tea is an expensive tea variety mainly only found in China. I'm going to go with that one. There is no such thing as purple tea. That is unfortunately incorrect. It is nearly impossible to find yellow tea outside of China. Okay, I'm not very good at this game. It's okay. We also are just learning about this and it was a lot of fun to do. And we had a a coffee session as well with uh, TJ Fairchild a few weeks ago. One of my favorite people. Yeah, he's amazing. It was so much fun. Looking more at history and stuff, I have over a hundred pages oh my of goodness. information. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's the third one. Um, this one uh, is also about tea, and then the last one is about coffee. Okay. Number one, Irish breakfast tea is stronger than English breakfast, but not as strong as Scottish breakfast tea. Number two... Americans started drinking more coffee after the Boston Tea Party to show their independence from Great Britain. And number three, rooibos tea is only drunk with milk and sugar in South Africa. Oh, I'm going to go with number two. Americans started drinking more coffee after the Boston Tea Party. Yes. That one is actually also correct. 
Is it the salt or is it sugar yeah, and milk? In, in and tea, tea. Um, <laughs> you can drink it without uh, milk and sugar, but the British add milk and sugar to everything. So, yeah. yes. <laughs> I guess since the Americans wouldn't have had any tea left, they would have had to have gotten the coffee <laughs> at that point. Yeah, I believe there's a quote from John Adams that's like, well, I guess I should learn to like coffee. <laughs> Well, if that wasn't in the Hamilton uh, musical, I didn't know it. <laughs> <laughs> the Hamilton musical? I love Hamilton. Me too, me too. We play it all the time and sing it all the time. So. Lin-Manuel Miranda is such an amazing person. Mm-hmm. This one's coffee, right? Yes, coffee. Number one, some say coffee houses are connected to the Enlightenment period. Number two, espresso, as we know it, was only beginning to be thought of around the turn of the century, so around 1900. And number three, cappuccinos were seen as divine by the religious monks and drunk regularly. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so I'm looking for the lie, correct? All right. Um, I can see the Enlightenment thing being true. Let's go with uh, espresso in the 1900s. That one is actually correct, (laughs) but you were close. It is true that coffee houses are connected to the Enlightenment. Apparently there was a scientist, they dissected a dolphin for show in a coffee house to show like the anatomy of a dolphin. Also pre-Department of Health. (laughs) Yes, correct. The lie was that cappuccinos were seen as divine by religious monks and drunk regularly. So espresso, as we know it, was starting to form around 1930 because pressure needed to make the espresso was hard to get to scientifically. As you know, uh, we used to be a hub for poetry with Lit Night at the Artist's Hand but due to the pandemic, unfortunately, we haven't had that. So here at this podcast, um, I have people submit to contact at theartistshandgallery.com. Wonderful. That's great. <laughs> I have five poems to share with you. All right. Wonderful. You're our listening ear for this. Wonderful. Uh, this one is titled Good Fortune. Goob the Great, greatest of all good. Goob has the good tune. A great good tune for all. All will hear the goob the great's tune. A goob's fortune, if you will. Oh, a goob. (laughs) That's awesome. Angry birds. (laughs) To slice bread with a clean cut. To smell tomatoes and peppers and to see a pink sunset. I crave simplicity. I'm so lucky to have it. It's nice. Mm -hmm. This one is called Three Stages of the Pandemic. Stage number one. Lucky me. Slowing down, prepping meals, working from home, Zooming meetings, Zooming family, walking, finding four-leaf clovers, being patient, volunteering, praying, practicing yoga, ordering takeout, recycling, removing excess, baking bread, feeding birds, watching nature unfold, researching ancestors, voting, riding bikes, teaching driving. Stage two, Lucky me? 
Grieving loved ones, welcoming newborns, having loved ones, losing jobs, praying, missing hugs, missing community, gaining weight, processing tragedies. Stage three, lucky me, counting blessings, discovering extraordinary, living simply, writing friends, hoping for peace, praying, seeking balance, writing poems, learning online, practicing mindfulness, connecting with family, protecting each other, wearing face coverings, sanitizing hands, distancing, getting vaccinated, gathering small groups, surviving pandemic, amplifying hope, lucky me. That's beautiful. That, well done, Barb. That's, uh, I think that sums it all up very, very well. Yeah. Now I have two by the infamous Jeffrey. The fun never ends. Whether enjoying a decadent dessert at the artist's hand or going hiking at S&T Bank Arena, the fun never ends. Sure, at times I get cranky. Who doesn't? I guess I'm not perfect, but who is? But I can choose to have fun, and I do. (laughs) That's good. Here's Jeffrey's second poem. Am I dreaming? Paninis at the artist's hand. Ambient frolicking walks down Philadelphia Street, sitting on a bench, watching my mind go round and round. It's not an acid trip. It's just me experiencing me, just being who I am, a soul who loves both shopping for CDs and enjoying the ambiance. I love listening to poetry. I just think it is one of the most relaxing things you can do. March is almost over. April is coming. If you would like to submit poetry for next month's podcast, our theme will be spring and nature. Um, The Petal and Sticks show with woodwork by Chris Weiland and floral design by Hannah Zenisek will be up until April 5th. Be sure to stop by and see it in person or online through our digital tour. You can also purchase individual arrangements for your own garden. The next art show is IUP Museum Goes Downtown with a reception on April 9th, again online or in person. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. This was wonderful. It's been a pleasure having you on. I'm just so glad you could make it in today. Me too. Cheers. Cheers. (laughs) Yeah, something cool. Something more.